0: This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, we're talking early season bird hunting tactics with Ben Bredigan from Onyx Maps. We'll break down different habitats for different birds. Plus, I think we'll get into a controversial discussion about bird dogs. You'll want to stick around for this one. Welcome to another episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, as our producer. Today, I am sitting at the house of my bird hunting buddy, Ben Bredigan. We've both returned from some pretty epic adventures. We can get into that, uh, and we likely will. We have a lot to talk about today. Hunting season has arrived. But before we get into all that, I want to remind you that if you didn't listen to last week's episode... We have a special show coming up next week, a live show. And this will be at the Beer... No, not beer. Bear Cave Brewing. <laughs> Keep me on track, buddy. Keep me on track. I remember
1: this was problematic last week, too. <laughs> I know. I, it's like
0: I, I need to say bear, but I'm saying beer. Like Bear Cave Brewing Brewery. No, try again. Bear Cave Brewing Located in Hopkins, Minnesota. Maybe you should say this Bear Cave Brewing.
1: I'm afraid now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (gasps) Next Wednesday, September 21st at 7 p.m., Bear Cave Brewing. Ron Scherra, Scott Franz, and Bill Shirk, and myself, we're all going to be there to kick off the start of hunting season with a live show. We hope you'll come out and join us. They've got a special space for us on top of their balcony. You can bring your dogs. They've got more than 50 tap beers, hard seltzers, cocktails, wines, and Neapolitan style pizzas. Uh, We haven't done a live show since Pheasant Fest, but it was awesome. It was so fun to hear your stories and to come up. You can be in the show, you can ask us questions. And Ben, I think you mentioned that you might have a few items that we'll be able to give away too. Yeah, we'll have
1: memberships. We'll have. We've Got a bunch of new hats in, so you'll be the, probably the first ones to see the new Onyx hat. Sweet, yeah, I'll be there. It should be a great time. You coming?
0: I'm, I'm coming. I'll be I thought there. you'd be hunting. I should be hunting. <laughs> well, you're a new dad yeah. now, too. So, congratulations on the new baby. How's everything going at home here?
1: It's uh, it's the most difficult job I think uh, I'll ever have, yeah, but it's 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 a complete mix of every emotion possible, yeah. from pure frustration to like the most, the highest, most ridiculous level of love ever. And like do that within 30 seconds.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> welcome to fatherhood, my friend. It's yeah. a, it's an awesome journey and pretty soon you'll be hunting with her. And oh. if you have more, you know, if God blesses you with more, you know, I mean, it's just such a fun, fun journey. I'm excited for you. And, you know, the, the fun that, or the challenges just make it all the sweeter, which I think probably gets us into today's discussion. (laughs) Should we start with, how do we want to start? Whose journey do we want to go down
1: first? I don't know. We can start, we can start with the tough and then go down to the flat land, and (laughs) take it. We can
0: ease (laughs) on down into that. Well, I think, um, if you haven't listened to last week's Flush podcast, I, I hope you will because Eric Locker and Evan Withrow, um, they, we kind of talk through what it takes to go on an extreme mountain bird hunt from their perspective. And those two are some of the craziest hunters that I've ever hunted with, because, you know, we hunted through rain. We hunted up and down mountains. Uh, It snowed on us. Um, You know, the the temperature swings are so drastic. I'm wearing a t-shirt one minute, five minutes later, it's snowing and I've got a, a socking hat on and three jackets and the wind is blowing. And, um, just to get yourself in position to be there is half a day. You know? yeah. <laughs> like you're committed to this unreal climb. You know, the, the first day we hunted together was the way that I would recommend doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's have a Alaskan bush pilot fly you in somewhere to get to the elevation or the place that you want to start hunting. And hopefully that pilot can fly you back home at the end of the day. Because if you listen to our discussion, our first day in Alaska, um, it, it was not how we planned, but you have to have a lot of plans because the weather changes so fast. The night before we were planning to fly in, the pilot came over and he's like, we can't go tomorrow. And, um, or he told Eric that, can't go in, it's the ceiling is going to drop and and we're not going to be able to get out. And that's realistic for these guys. And they have to factor in, which I want them to because it's my life.
1: Yeah, right. Bird hunting or plane
0: crash, you know, know. Yes, exactly. So Eric goes, well, what if you drop us off and we hike out? Which, you know, that took out seven miles of hiking up mountains roughly for that particular day. Um, however, in Alaska, they blow up roads. I mentioned that, uh, we got stuck because there's a one way road that we didn't know about and that road closed at 8 PM. And we had no idea because we didn't drive there. We flew in. And so our ride came to pick us up. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. So anyway, it extended our, our day by like four or five hours before we were finally able to get back to our cabin after the hunt. If we could have flown back out, that would have been the most magical day ever because the birds are there. They're spectacular. The landscape is stunning, um, you know. And they're gentleman birds for for yes. pointers. They like to hold in these patches of willows or um, thicker thicker pieces on the tundra. The tundra itself is just like I have been constantly retelling the stories. I you know like even if I would have had to climb the seven miles that day, I, it would have been worth it just for that one day. The second day, um, we. We didn't hunt the second day because we got rained out. We couldn't get where we needed to go. The third day, we we set a plan, and that was a full hike day all the way. Um, it's just so important. I can't stress enough: boots, good boots, and then you know, just having the these big packs that would allow us to carry all of our gear. I ended up transferring uh, parts of my Chief Upland vest. They've got the Molly system. Uh, you can move your attachments, shell pouches, all that stuff. So I took those off, and I put them on an Eberly stock. Uh, it's a carrying pack, so mm-hmm. if you're, like, on a big game hunt, you basically have to prep like you're going on a big game hunt.
1: Yeah, that's what we, like you were, we were talking about. It was just, yeah, I mean, this is not, like, oh, let's find the best Upland boot. It's like, no, there's there's not an Upland-specific boot yeah. that is going to cover this. Like, you, we're talking Kenetrax, Crispies. Heavy duty, crispy ankle yeah. supports, loas, yeah. whatever. It's just, it's a it's a completely different game.
0: I showed you a couple of videos and it's hard to do justice to what the terrain really is like unless you're there. Uh, there was times where we found birds, you know, seven, 800 feet on top of this cliff and it's like, we got to go. And we knew that this, uh, in particular, rock ptarmigan, which is... Um, it wasn't something that I anticipated seeing, honestly, because they say it's pretty rare to find them. They are where you find them is kind of what they say, yeah. um, which means they could be in rocks, they could be in the tundra, they could be on top, they could be on, they could be in so many random places, but we heard one. <laughs> <And> <laughs> of the, you, all the things, like all you didn't one, I heard one. <laughs> it sounds like uh, 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 a frog or a toad croak. When you heard it, did you, like, well, I'm deaf, so I didn't. Oh, yeah, hear true. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: fair, fair enough. There's Travis just wandering around, go, looking at the pretty mountains. Where are you mountains. guys looking right now?
0: But I can see. So here's where yeah. the teamwork <laughs> comes in. I can see like an eagle, and I'm looking up, and this white speck moves on top of this mountain, 800 feet oh roughly God. above us, and it's. I don't think it was uh, 80 degree slope. It wasn't 90, obviously, but I would say it was like 65 degrees slope. Maybe seven. So like you can know. go
1: up on your hands and knees. So yeah,
0: you're you're climbing. Or up. hands and feet. Hands and feet. Yeah. Um. You know the guns in the scabbard for a certain part of it. Uh, trekking poles. That's a must. And the adrenaline took over. And I got to be honest, I just went straight up. Like I didn't even. It's like I didn't even get winded. It was so bizarre. I remember thinking afterwards that, like, how did I just get up here? And but we got ourselves in position. All of a sudden, there's white-tailed ptarmigan to the right. The dog, one of the dog was on point and we can see just like this, all these white dots up on the rocks moving. And they were like, there's this winter's coming in Alaska. It was snowing on us at this time. Really? Yeah. The rain was not, it wasn't rain. What was worse
1: (laughs) rain or the snow.
0: Well, it wasn't heavy enough. I would, I don't like rain. I would have taken snow over the rain uh, just because everything gets so wet. But um, yeah, we, we climb up to the top. And you're in position and just, it's just surreal, surreal feeling. We had a high, those guys were, I mean, the high pitched screams of excitement and joy after we achieved it. Cause all of a sudden we all got a rock again, which they hadn't, they hadn't gotten one in years because it's just, it is like the, like the Holy grail, I guess. So I'm holding this big male, the one that I took out and I just was like speechless and I think anybody would have been in that situation too. And I know you would have been there, Aww. right alongside me. Like you would have climbed that thing just the same as we did. Um, it was interesting because we're filming everything, so uh, it'll be an interesting show to put together. We had multiple cameras, which allowed us to film in different uh, different places at one time. Um, it's just, I, I. I was just talking to the guys on the way down afterwards, and I'm like, I don't know how I go into a cattail slew after this oh. and feel the same. I don't know. I, I, it, ruined, it ruined me. I feel like I don't know that it's something that I would do every single day like those guys do up mm-hmm. there because, well, first of all, they can't do it every day because they were hurting too which made me feel a little yeah, bit better exactly. myself. <laughs> yeah. um, But they their dogs. You know, it's tough. So they space out their, their hikes in. And
1: what do they do in the mean? T- what do they do in between the grouse, like rough grouse hunts? Ro- yeah, blues? he texted me
0: yesterday. He got the three different species of grouse in Alaska. So they went on a journey. They gave their dogs a day off, and then they went up uh, uh, central Alaska somewhere. And they shot rough grouse, spruce grouse, and sharp tails yesterday. Uh, so, so that's a break for them. Yeah. But the thing up there, they start their season in August and things, you know, it goes till the end of March. So it's a long season. But where we hunted today, well, last, you know, a, a few days ago, mm-hmm. that area might not be reachable today because of the snow. I mean, like yeah. each day, that we were there, we saw certain mountains take snowpack. Um, you're hunting by glaciers. At one point, I am on top of this peak, and I look eye level across the canyon at mountain goats. Man, and just behind them is a glacier.
1: Like it's just, uh, it's just so were, surreal. Were you above the mountain goats, and you could have called them lazy? Like, look at you, lazy. <laughs> well, it gives me a whole new perspective
0: for yeah. big game hunters in the mountains. It really yeah. does, because I we saw these two goats, and they were obviously watching us. But I remember looking over at Evan, and I said, Evan, if you had to get close enough to take a shot at one of those two, how do you get there? And he, we both just stared at him for a little bit on the side of this unreal cliff, and we're like, ah, I don't know. I mean, obviously you go into a different mindset than you do with dogs and birds, Yeah. but it's just such an incredible place. Um, I, I'm not trying to scare people away from doing it by saying how intense it is. If you have the chance, go for it because it is one of those experiences that you will never regret doing. Um, but if you, if you want to take a little bit more enjoyable route, um, Bob Letta is a bush pilot at all Alaska outdoors. And he takes those miles away and just puts you in position to see the birds um, by flying you in to different locations. He's been guiding... Ptarmigan hunters for 20, I think he said 27 years. Wow. And I think he's the only ptarmigan fly in guide in Alaska. Wow. He yeah. must, he must, that's a lot of years yeah. in
1: Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Alaska it's, just doesn't want you to live.
0: <laughs> Alaska is a brutal place. I mean, realistically, two handguns right here on your chest. Uh, we saw a video from one of their buddies, and I think I let it play on the last episode. Um, uh, it's, a, it was unreal. That, ber- that bear mm. comes so fast. We did see a bear the second day where we were hunting on the side of the mountain. It was a big black bear. It was not a grizzly okay. and it was just eating berries. There's trillions of berries, blueberries and different kinds of berries up on the mountains right now. So they're just getting ready for winter. Uh, the birds themselves are getting ready for winter. They're flocking up. So that's what gave a, gave a, Away. When when that bird croaked on top of the mountain, it called another bird into the covey, and we saw it sail across and land, and that's what gave them away. Without it, we would have walked by. I mean, because they're they're the size of a rough grouse, roughly. Uh, They're not a huge bird, and they blend in. I mean, if they don't move, you could walk inches from them, and you're not going to see them. Do you know anything or learned anything while you were up there in terms of seasonality, like what
1: they'll do come August 15 or whenever it opens mm-hmm. to, you know, this time of year in October, like d- does it get easier, harder?
0: Uh, the birds are changing colors a lot. So they're grays and browns early season. They're going to be up in that high elevation in the tundra. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be eating a lot of berries. There's a variety of berries. There's insects up there. So I, I looked at it and I said, guys, this is just like hunting sharp-tailed grouse on the prairie. If you find just little, like little, yeah, except I'll, for the elevation, I'll talk through Georgia and I's trips. It's very <laughs> know, yours similar. Is coming up? You just got back, but it it really is because you've got this. Let's call it a prairie. You know, uh, you're up in the mountains, mm-hmm. but it's you know it, you can find relatively flat areas. The tundra isn't always ninety degree angles. It can be fairly flat yeah. and very enjoyable to walk. It's it's like a cushion to every step. It's so nice, <laughs> um, and then you find these thicker patches of alders and willows. And where you find the thicker patches, you find the birds. So it's it's very similar yeah. to a, a sharp tail hunt, where if you find the patches of berries on the grass, you're going to find birds a lot of times. So in that way, it was very similar. Now, it, in a couple days here, those spots are going to be completely gone, covered in snow. Last year at this time, it was when we were walking down last week. Eric said, last year, next week, which would be basically about the time this podcast yeah. comes out. Uh, we couldn't hunt here. We tried to get up this mountain, but we made it three-quarters of the way up to where we wanted to hunt, and the snow was over our waist. Wow. And at, there's a there comes a point where even the pine trees disappear up on top there um, because of the amount of snow that they get. And then he said that the ptarmigan will migrate down. Okay. He said sometimes you'll actually see them right off the side of the gravel road just like you would a grouse pick and grit. Huh. It's crazy. So... They do what they need to do to survive. They go through these migrations. They, those guys do hunt them on snowshoes, which I think would be kind of cool as well. But either way, um, this is kind of this early September is when they said is ideal time to go because you get big flocks, and we did end gotcha. up yes. we did end up seeing you know where the coveys come together, and you know like it's lush green, it's it's blazing orange and yellows when the colors are changing and then you get these bright white wings that explode. Like I, I am obviously still excited about it. I told so many stories, but I enjoy telling them and reliving them. And I've looked through my photo albums, like more than I think I've ever done before, (laughs) because I'm just like, wow, we made it there, you know? And the misery meter was high many times. And I remember telling Peter, cameraman, this will be something you're going to remember forever. It's going to suck at certain mm-hmm. points, I promise you. Um, but you will look back on it and say, that was awesome.
1: You forget about, forget about the bad times,
0: and all of a sudden you're yeah. like,
1: yeah, I kind of want to do that again.
0: Yeah. I would go back for, for and I, I would go back in a second. Repeat. Yep. I, would, <laughs> I can't stress enough the gear, light rain gear. We're not talking your heavy Sims or Gore Tex. Um, Eric said, get light. Columbia rain pants and a light rain jacket. You want it light, light, light. You can put it over the top. It doesn't weigh you down. Extra clothes. I mean, just the stuff to survive if you needed to spend the night. Bear spray on my holster. They had handguns. We, you know, I mean, you think about all kinds of things that you don't typically think about. Yeah, it just sounds like it. Uh, one of those trips where you can't go into it haphazardly,
1: you or you're going to have a bad time. Yep, you've got to have your. T's crossed
0: and I's dotted and, mm-hmm. and make sure you're ready for it. Yeah. I've actually been thrown around the idea when we aired these, this, this show, I've thrown around the idea of, of taking a, like a step out of the hunt and just do a quick, here's everything that we learned and that we needed to do this successfully and safely mm-hmm. because it's, it's different than a hunt that we would normally do in quite a few different yeah, ways. Yeah. If
1: you forget something on a regular hunt, it's like, ah, eh, mm-hmm. shoot.
0: Yeah, the InReach, the GP, yeah. or the satellite phone, and that in itself. Um, I did, I did fall, you know, on that rock, uh, rock ptarmigan. Um, I slipped on this rock and it. I landed and it, like, kind of started a sort of mini avalanche type thing. But um, when I landed on the sharp rock, like my knee is still sore. Mm. Had anything happened. Um, you know, like there was, I was holding the bird, so there was blood on the rocks right there, and they didn't know if it was my blood oh. or the bird's. So there was like this moment of kind of panic, and I, I when I landed, I got um, really lightheaded. I don't know if you've ever taken a bad fall before, where it's like I'm not gonna pass out, but just give I me a I can't stand up yet. Yeah, so I, I just stood there, you know. And we are give or take seven, eight miles from. Our vehicle. Not easy point. miles. Not easy miles. Yeah. It's several hours basically. And so there's just moment of, okay, is that your blood Travis or <laughs> is that the bird? And I'm like, I'm, I doesn't look like I'm bleeding through my pants, but I need a second here to just like let my body recover from the crash. And then I s- pulled up the pant legs. Sorry, mom. I know you listen to these podcasts. <laughs> um, I pulled up my pant and I, it was not my butt. And I was like, Okay, Thank there's no gas here that we need to worry about. But we were prepared for it. Yeah. You know, I brought a variety of different tapes. Um Did you old, have your dog first aid kit? You could have stapled yourself shut? Yeah. 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 I mean, those are real things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, anyway, pretty, pretty wild. We're 20 minutes into this conversation. I was not anticipating talking about my adventure. I want to talk about your adventure, Ben, because you just came back from Montana. Mm-hmm. Opening day in Montana. One hundred and eighty degree difference from what I experienced. <laughs> Probably literally a hundred degree difference in temperature too. <laughs> yes, yes. So what what were some things that stood out to you? September first is opener in in Montana. It's a place you've gone now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You travel all over the country hunting birds, but this is just kind of like this is it the kickoff. Right? Yes, and you've got a young dog that's coming into his prime, Amos, and um, the. The terrain out there allows you to see so much. Yes. Um, but did the weather just like kick you in the crotch? Oh, it was, it, it was definitely
1: a little hampering in terms of how long you could hunt. But this year, the nice thing is they've had. I mean, compared to we, when we were out there last year, like the rainfall has was significantly improved. So the habitat was awesome. The grass was there. Um, I remember driving around last year and and looking at good spots that we found on Onyx and just saying, no, like that one's grazed or they just completely hate that pasture, uh, you know, to feed Mm -hmm. cattle. And this year it was like, if, if it looked good on the map or you even thought there were going to be birds there, there were going to be birds there. Hmm. And I didn't know if it was going to be one of those situations where it all looked good. And so it just spread the birds apart, but uh, the hatch must have been fantastic. A lot of young birds. Uh, so, I mean, we were we we beat the heat most days because we were done by eight eight thirty in the morning. So, yeah, that was really nice.
0: Well, it's interesting. The heat out there, obviously, it's intense, but the nights cooled down. I want to say I was checking the forecast, looking at what you guys were dealing with out there, and it looked like it got down to forty eight. 52 yeah. something like that each night yeah
1: in the beginning i mean i think opening day was 103 or something like that unreal so that was brutal i mean we had to one one of the days we had to bring the dogs inside the cabin just because we couldn't find any shade for them and like we're gonna cook them in their kennels yeah. but yeah the, the nights nights were in the 50s for sure we had a couple nights were in the 60s which makes it rough to wake up in the morning and you yeah. only get two hours maybe to run the dogs but I think then the day after we left it was a high of like 62
0: so oh my gosh it's like dang it yeah the day we we left Alaska it was sunny the first sunny day we've <laughs> had in two months oh, that's how it always goes the day you leave is the best day yep Hunting season is just around the corner, and that means it's time to start planning. If you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this fall, then I strongly recommend that you consider one of my favorite places to hunt. That's North Dakota. North Dakota is a bird hunter's paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prey pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. Habitat on the landscape looks great, and I'm hearing reports of a strong hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild, flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt, seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I wanna hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers? Well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that, Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Uh, so you, you, you saw a lot of birds, mm-hmm. um, in comparison to the last couple of years, bird numbers up, down, stable. I would say very similar.
1: Okay. Um, you know, just looking at it in a bigger picture, I would say there's probably more birds this year just because there's more spots to hunt them. And every spot we went, we pretty much found birds and it sounds like, you know, across a lot of, across central Eastern Montana, the bird numbers are good where last year, you know, drought had kind of put a put a damper on everything out further west. So, uh, I, I'd say overall better bird numbers this year. It's amazing how quick
0: they can bounce back. Yeah, you know, and,
1: well, those birds are, the, especially sharpies. They are just, I mean, they're made for this. This is something they deal with mm-hmm. every single year for the last thousand years.
0: Well, before we messed up their their plans Ex- exactly. Yeah. So, and that's a nice thing too. When you get out west, there are places that haven't been. Uh, touched yet by a plow, you know, and that's, that's key. I mean, that, that native habitat, um, as long as it exists, the birds find a way to survive the harsh conditions that come with it. Yeah. They were built for it. Yeah. What to somebody that's never gone on a sharptail hunt, because I feel like, you know, in upland hunting, it's pheasants, it's quail, grouse, but the last few years, it feels like sharptail hunting has become a cool thing to do. You know, so the popularity, um, I, I feel like it's become a lot more popular. There are people that have definitely reached out to you. I've heard from them as mm-hmm. well that say, you guys have been going out west. You know, can you, can you give me some advice? What yeah. would you do? Where would you go? Things like that. Um, what do you tell them? You know, the,
1: the, the biggest thing is the biggest thing for me is just finding that area to go right it, cuz i mean you look at montana or nebraska or kansas or wyoming and they're huge states and it's really daunting right mm-hmm. so it just just figuring out where the birds a even live right where, where i mean if i go to western montana i'm going to have a really bad time hunting sharptail yeah firstly because you can't hunt them <laughs> west <laughs> yeah. side of the state but no, the, your
0: regulations obviously yeah, there's
1: just not that many of them so first it's just finding Where they are in the state, and then from there, it's just kind of honing in on areas. And then once you get there, if you're not finding birds, if you spend a day or two out there and don't find birds, like have a plan B, get up and leave. I've had to do it, Mm -hmm. and so just to be mobile and have a couple different plans is the biggest thing because, yeah, that's of a whole that's the I don't know, at least for me, part of the fun is is figuring it out right like yeah yeah, it's it stinks in the moment to have two terrible days of hunting but then to figure it out it just makes it that much more rewarding so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i mean if if your goal is to just bring home a sack full of birds and you don't care about the experience then you know maybe going to a game farm makes more sense but if you're if you're looking for the challenge that comes with trying to figure it out that's where so many of of us, you know, uh, for me, and I know for you and the rest of our friends, we, we just love the challenge because when you get that bird, like the high fives are real. yeah, Like the joy is real for everybody. Cause like, Hey, we just, we just figured it out, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the fun of being able to go to some of these places out West because sometimes you get into a, 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 block management area, and you're talking hundreds of thousands of acres.
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as you look, it's just Mm -hmm.
0: sprawling, endless. And that's Montana. You know, you go to Wyoming, and you've got, you know, each state has their different uh, BLM or different places that you can go. And for sharptails or for sage grouse or, you know, Mm -hmm. some of these uh, early season birds, Um, you know, North Dakota just opened as well. And I think South Dakota opens this Saturday, I think. So now you know places. Uh, prairie birds are going to be opening pretty much all over the Upper Midwest mm-hmm. where where they live. And if you're going to go after them, Ben, you know, like it's a big, it can be a big place. But you take a, a section. What do you look for within that to find out if that's a place you want to go?
1: The the biggest thing is is it's it's similar to finding pheasants, but obviously a lot different. Um, I am just looking for diversity. So when you're looking at aerial imagery. It's finding those different color grasses on the map. It's finding, you know, pockets of, of bushes, whether they're choke cherries, whether they're a lot of the times like a buffalo berry or a snowberry is going to be darker on the map. So it's finding those areas where it has a lot of diversity and obviously a um, little terrain as well helps. Um, so that's really what I'm honing in on. And then not finding one of those spots, but finding 25 of those spots within, you know, drivable different, distance because if you get there and there's not birds in spot 1 then you better have some backup options or else you're going to be wasting time out there trying to figure it out.
0: Have you ever had times where you've been out there and your plants just I mean you mentioned having to move but like you're out there in the field and you're like so convinced when you go into it I'm going to find them here and you don't?
1: Yeah, it happened this
0: year. Really? A spot that I I love, it's a great
1: area. Found birds in it last year. It's just probably one of the most picturesque spots that I hunt. And, you know, this year the goal was to get, George has got a young pointer, and then my dog Amos, he's a year and a half, so we just wanted to get him into birds. Wasn't so much, the goal wasn't finding new areas, but finding birds. So mm. went back to a lot of the haunts that I found him before, and, and I just was giddy getting out of the truck, like, all right, George, last year, like, <laughs> there was birds here, there are birds here, and we walk around this whole thing, For a whole morning, and you only get two or three hours, like I was saying. So I I think we found one one covey that we foot flushed at the end. What do you think caused that? I don't know. The the habitat looked great. We were talking if it was a more like if it was that was a really cool morning. So we were we started off kind of on the side hills versus maybe we should have looked started up on top of the ridges where there's a little less cover. They like to be up on top in the early mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was something that we did. Maybe they were out in the fields feeding and then filtered back in there. Um, but yeah, there were just no birds there. And so it was you just... It was a little bit different habitat than I normally hunt. It was not quite as thick. Was, so, it,
0: was there cows in the pasture?
1: Nope, it hadn't been grazed. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it's just like one of those areas that... Yeah, I mean, it just... We got beat that day,
0: which and is is which fine. It's fine, yeah, yeah exactly. Birds you have to win sometimes. Yes, exactly. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. So you you work at Onyx Hunt, and you're in charge of the bird division in the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's your official title?
1: Wow, well, it's it, uh, technically it's like Midwest.
0: Uh, I can't even remember it now.
1: Business <laughs> development manager. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So you're developing stuff all the time that help us hunters. What What's new this year for Onyx that people can expect to see when they open up their app?
1: So we've got we've got a number of really cool things. Um, one one thing that I'm personally really excited about, and it'll impact us being from Minnesota specifically. Um, I don't know if you've looked in there, but we have a new timber harvest layer.
0: Tell yeah. me more. Tell me yeah, more. Yeah, so, uh, so we're rough, gross hunters. That's yes. where I was going to go with this. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, in the past, our it was a lot of it was focused on west. So we had a lot of the, um, you know, national forest land had their timber cuts. But a friend of mine from northern Minnesota, she's a, a biologist, and she's like, you should really get this data set in. And so I was all over it. Instead how of, does that work? So you
0: go to the state. The state has that information, right? Yeah. And you're. How do you? How do you work that to make that? It's magic. Well, I I know like last year when North Dakota (laughs) trespass laws went digital, you know, we were talking about it and I was talking to Mike Jensen over there and I don't know if you ended up talking to him to connect all the dots or somehow all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's on your Onyx app and you can find out who posted their land electronically. And similarly here, like somebody's recording that, Data, and is it this in the state? Yeah, a lot of it is the state. So, like, we're not going out
1: and and you, we don't have the information for say, sure. timber cuts, but a lot of the slide some money under the yeah. rug. Type thing. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, so I mean, it's all publicly accessible, but the problem is, unless you have a program like ArcGIS, or mm-hmm. it's just hard to make sense of all of it. I mean, I think when it first when I when my friend first told me about it, I was like, I downloaded a couple maps on my computer, yeah, a couple. I guess map mapping software, ArcGIS type yeah. things, and was trying to like figure it out because like I need this data now. Yeah, and I was like, no, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is not going to work. You can do this a lot quicker than I can. Let's, yeah, let's so, make like, it happen. The, the people, yeah, our GIS team at Onyx is like, I, I don't even know. How. I I took a GIS class in <laughs> in college. Do you remember any of it? Oh gosh, I think I remember. Like, all right, I'll, you put a manhole cover here. <laughs> And so I went back in this program, like, yeah, I think I can figure it out. And I was like, oh no, you can't figure this out, Ben. So I shift, I sent it off to them. And I think I, uh, they, they made like a kind of a beta version for me last year within like a day. So I was like, heck yeah. And then so uh, we got it up in the app now. I think it's under like Minnesota timber harvest layer. So that's something I'm super excited about because it essentially, like, you know, if we had. 10 cuts in an area now, now we have 100 cuts in the area. So it's just added
0: all that. Yeah, and if you're a rough grouse hunter, or if you're wanting to be, rough grouse habitat is young growth. Mm -hmm. Um, So the importance of logging, for people that don't understand this, and this is all across the upper Midwest, out east, northeast, where rough grouse live, the habitat needs to be cut needs to have new growth and constant turnover. Um, specifically, Ben, you know, there's a couple trees that you want to look for. What is it that you tell people when they want to go look for rough grouse? What are they the age range now and which particular trees? Yeah.
1: So it, it really varies like you said by by region, right? If you go out out east, it's completely different than it is here in the Midwest. But around here you pretty much live and die by aspen cuts I mean that's that's probably the number one area um, age range around here and it really d- depends it really varies by um, soil type and like how productive a soil is because once a, you know once a tree gets about past the thickness of your wrist it kind of it starts to get too tall you lose that understory but I like to tell people like five to 15 so a lot of the cuts, actually a lot of the cuts that produced for me last year were like 14 15 16 that old yeah interesting so it, it just and again those were areas where it was poor soil so trees aren't going to necessarily grow as fast like mm-hmm. there's some cuts that are just starting to get good that i remember hunting deer hunting when i was a kid that were clear cut in
0: 2005 4 so hmm. yeah it's um, it's cool to be able to have this data and i i think Sometimes when I drive by, at least a couple years ago before having that feature, I would make little notes, cut in 2019, cut in 2017, you know, where I hunt. I just wanted to keep tabs on it, and now I'm at a point, some of those spots, I'm like, I'm going to go check them out now. Yeah, they're starting to get good. They're starting to get good, and it changes, too. And some of your favorite spots may not be as good anymore. I remember I had some spots when I, you know, 20-some years ago, you're probably not a grouse on that property anymore. That's the part I love about grouse
1: hunting, though. Yeah. It's you, like it forces you to go find new stuff. You can't go. Mm-hmm. And the it gets old right back hole. to that same mm-hmm.
0: the joy that comes with figuring it out. Yep. It's so much fun. Early season rough grouse. And now Minnesota opens up this weekend, I think. Yep. And 17th? The, yeah. The amount of leaves really can hamper. You might get a lot of <laughs> Yes, you know, but you might not even see that bird. Uh, it changes a lot quick. What do you do early season, and then as the season goes on, when it comes to rough grouse?
1: Yeah. So when I when I got back from Montana, I started running Amos in the woods again. So I've been out a few times now, and and I'll start off by saying the bird numbers should be fantastic. It should be a great year for rough grouse hunters. I know. I think they have been seeing broods in areas I've never seen broods before in the past. So. Love it. Even though it's not necessarily following our historic 10 year cycle, which normally peaks on years ending in zero and one. So it'd be 2020, 2021, and then it starts to dip down. So we'd be peaked last year? So we apparently we should have peaked in 2020 or 21. That's kind of how it historically goes. Huh. Um,
0: I, this is what's interesting. I feel like it changes based on, I don't know, like I, I've had a hard time. Keeping up with the 10-year, are we on the down, are we on the up? And the numbers don't always show that, like you're saying. You know, like if we're on a down, it might be better than last year. And last year was good. Yeah,
1: last year was, I mean, last year was fantastic. But the thing is, is, so I think that's, I mean, that is averaged
0: across. Hold on a second. Do you think it was better or do you think you're a better hunter? So it makes it, uh, like, your your success is better than it was 10 years ago because you know so much more now? And you're able to pinpoint them so much quicker, and your dog is able to get out there. I further, I think that definitely has to do
1: with it as well. But even like just driving around flogging roads, like driving to the spot, driving down the gravel roads, I was definitely seeing more birds. And 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 I took a you know essentially a five year hiatus when I lived in Mississippi. I, I can't think I came back a couple years to hunt grouse, but um, I think a big thing too is that that's an average, like that 10-year trend is an average probably across a state or region, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean individual pockets of cover could be way up or way down. And then this year we had, you know, this year was, they were speculating that it was going to be a bad year because we had a, I mean, like the worst, not, I shouldn't say the worst, but dang near the worst type of weather. We had a wet, cool spring, which is generally not Mm -hmm. good for hatch. And a lot of the times you're shooting... I can't remember what the percentage is, but the vast majority of birds you're shooting are young of the year birds in the fall. So it was not shaping up to be a good year. But, you know, I think what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of full broods of, you know, 10, 11, 12 birds in it. Mm-hmm. But they were really young. So kind of my thought process is a lot of those birds just um, laid hatch the late hatch, yep. Because you there's know, young
0: birds now. Will they like a pheasant, will they have a
1: second or third? No, they will not. They will Interesting. they will re-nest. Yeah. But they will not have they will not have two broods. And actually I don't think pheasants. Do. Pheasants don't yeah. either, but if their brood doesn't fails, make if it fails, re-nest. then they'll
0: re-nest up to three times. Yeah. I didn't know if rough grouse were the same.
1: Yeah, so so the thing is, is what I've been seeing is at least with broods having you know 10 11 12 birds in it that's generally an indication of that is their first nesting attempt because otherwise if you go if it's a second attempt you're going to see less 4 5 6 little ones yeah. just because they have to invest so much energy into it so that kind of for me points to late hatch
0: and the bird numbers have are should be good so hmm. Yeah, well, we,
1: we've been running into a lot of them, so uh,
0: that's exciting. I I don't know if I I mean I think I enjoy the the changing of the seasons and you know like you go from like break down what does your season look like because you you hunt a variety of birds in a variety of places. Yeah, so I, I'll normally start off on the prairie out, out west
1: chasing sharpies just because that's the sharpies and huns, because that's the first thing that really opens up. Now, maybe next year I'll be doing like Alaska (laughs) because my friend Travis had such a good time out there. (laughs) Do it, man.
0: Just do it. That's all I got to say. You won't regret it. Um, Keep going. Yeah.
1: So then from sharpies, it transitions. um, I'll normally start hunting grouse and woodcock in the upper Midwest, Great Lake States through uh, I normally try to get through all of October just hunting grouse and woodcock before I transition to pheasants. Um, and then I'll hunt, generally hunt pheasants. And pheasants mostly in November. I'll get I'll do a trip down to Kansas and hunt quail as well in November. And then uh, through December, it, it just kind of varies. Like I'll go back down to Kansas. I think this year I'm going to go Do Montana and then Idaho. I'm coming with. All right, deal. (laughs) I'm
0: coming with. Deal.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I'll do Idaho Chucker in December. Have you done
0: that before? Never. Oh, gosh. Never. It's, yeah, it's uh, before Alaska. (laughs) 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 When people ask, like, what would be your favorite adventure? And Idaho is one of the most beautiful places in the lower 48. I just thoroughly... Loved everything about my hunt out there. I would go back in a second. So I'm really excited that you're going out there.
1: As as I'm slogging up the hills dying, I'll just be like, oh, it could be worse. I could be in Alaska.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you don't because you stop for a minute and you watch your dog and you're just like the thing about trying to capture it on a camera for video or just taking a picture, like you're in this amazing setting. You're just looking around and you pan around and you look and then you take your phone out and you're like I got to try to capture this and you're like it doesn't look the same and nothing you take on a camera looks anything like the vastness that you're in no. and then you forget about your sore ankles and you forget about the sweat on your back and yeah, you just it's keep a going feeling.
1: you can't you can't capture mm-hmm. it's one thing when you're sitting on a couch right and it's like but when you're out there it's a the video camera can't capture the smell yep. and the feeling you know how you're you're tired
0: you're sweating but yet you're mm-hmm like weirdly happy. It's like it, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't,
1: you can't capture that.
0: Yeah, we, we brought this little cooking setup and I, I think this is going to be my new thing. Very small little pan, little plastic uh, container with olive oil and another <laughs> little plastic container of seasoning and then you've got an, a knife and we cooked up birds on top of the mountain and I I had never eaten ptarmigan before and they tasted similar to rough grouse to me. Huh, which I was expecting it to be less enjoyable. So, is it lighter meat? There? No, it was darker. Um, it wasn't as dark as a spruce grouse. Okay. Um, but it. Like a Sharpie, yes? Yeah, it was kind of like a Sharpie. Yeah. But maybe it was the calories we burned to get there. Maybe it was the setting. Maybe it's the fact that 10 minutes earlier, a couple of them were still alive. Yeah. You know? And I, I don't know, but it was just like we all afterwards, we, we cooked up four birds and we're like, I could do four more easy. (laughs) Like it was so amazing. So I think moving forward, my plan would be to figure out a way to have bird lunch, not shore lunch, but bird lunch, you know, up there because it just like, it just brings it all together right there. It just does not get better than that. It's gonna be
1: like, you're gonna be like Wally the beer guy and always walking around with that stand there and
0: <laughs> yeah. walking,
1: cooking up food as you're walking. Yeah,
0: yeah I am gonna be sending a message to Chief Upland here to figure out yeah. how to extend the back <laughs> pouch on their vest because I'm gonna be carrying a lot more stuff. There more you more. go. <laughs> the flush, so fast it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex-wad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource High Performance Dog Food. Nutrisource Dog Food comes with their Good for Life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything, for your everyday cooking and wild game processing needs. Plus, they have experts on staff to help you learn how to use those products to get the best results. John Tremblay hosts their Meat Gistics podcast, live streams, and live chats, which are interactive learning tools for the meat processing community. If you have questions, John and his team had the answers, from sausage making to smoking, recipes to seasonings, and so much more. Walton's products ship the same day you order. They have over 5,000 items in stock from grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, woo, and a whole lot more. Order the same seasonings and supplies that professionals use from the best name in the wild game processing industry. Then sign up for their monthly giveaways. Walton's, they have everything but the meat. Um, I got a question from you. This came in last night, actually, yeah. from a podcast listener. Um, and it was ironic because... I, he asked this question, and I said, well, you're in luck because I'm having Ben on the podcast yeah. tomorrow. I'm going to ask him this. So here it goes. Uh, this comes from Grant Thompson. Hey, Travis, just wanted to say I'm a fan of yours here in central Minnesota. Thanks, Grant. But I had a question that I'm not sure who else to ask. So February of 2021, my dad surprised me with a five-year-old German short hair pointer named Stubby. His older owner was getting deployed in Afghanistan and didn't have anyone to watch after the dog. After some talking back and forth, he was more than happy to sell him to me for a first bird dog. When I brought him back to my house, the very next day I took him on a walk down a local trail here in the Brainerd Lakes area and he locked up on point not even 10 minutes in. I was overjoyed as a 17-year-old boy to finally have my own bird dog, but my luck ran out because before i realized what he was pointing it was too late he had already grabbed this large porcupine being so new with him i hadn't learned his commands yet to get him to leave it alone and i ended up carrying this 40 pound short hair over my shoulder out of the woods a long ride to the vet and 60 plus quills taken out later left me with a very swollen short hair but we got through it and developed a strong bond that day and over or that day and over the summer we train and played every day. I had never pheasant hunted before, but when twenty twenty-one season rolled around, we were after them. Him and I chased roosters all fall through the Minnesota prairies. This year, I have a new goal, but also a problem. I recently listened to your podcast with Ben Bredigan on being a more confident bird hunter. And if you didn't listen to that, when did we record? Maybe last winter?
1: Yeah. yeah. Was that a fish house last Fish house yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So go back and, and look for how to become a confident bird hunter. Anyway, uh, I recently listened to your podcast with Ben Bredigan on being a more confident bird hunter and realized something. Stubby and I are as confident as ever chasing roosters, but something I have avoided is the grouse woods. This year, I want to get stubby on some grouse, but I have a terrible fear about running into another porcupine. How do you deal with anxieties when it comes to dangers in the woods? Mm.
1: That's a really good question. I told
0: him I would ask you.
1: I was not, I was expecting it more like a tactical question, like what do you do about porcupines? (laughs) Well,
0: you and I pulled several out (laughs) of your German dogs because they love porcupines. Yeah,
1: man, that, I was not expecting that. Yeah, That's good. You know, it's, it's something that I deal with all the time. Like to be honest, anxieties like, or yeah. porcupines, anxieties, okay. lamb well, porcupines. I've got German dogs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, whether it's, you know, you're, you're driving out, you're driving out to Montana and all oh, this tires wearing a little funny, man, I don't want to add a new set of tires to, is my dog
0: limping? Like,
1: what's that? Like, you know like there's always something in the back of your mind something like like with Amos for example like you know he had a stint last spring where it was it's called like rat they call it rhabdo where it's essentially protein breaking down your dog like potential liver failure Mm. I don't think that's Amos had that yeah like I I don't as a pup yeah I don't think that's the case like I don't think he actually has it but like you know, all of a sudden you're looking at him while he's peeing. It's like, is that is that too dark brown? Like, does he have this again? So like for me, I I get it. Like there's always something in the back of your head. And kind of my philosophy, it's it's like, all right, are you gonna do something about it? And if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, why are you worrying about it? Like if I was if I'm worried about it, it's like, all right, well, either like in this case, like, all right, go to the vet ben. Or if you're just going to ride it out, like, don't, like, okay, you can't do anything about it. Just put it in the mm-hmm. back of your head. So, like, with with porcupines, um, in this particular case, like, getting into the grouse woods, it's almost, it's the confidence to know that you can deal with it when it happens. Because, again, as a German dog guy, it is going to happen. Like, I'm just going to tell you that it happened. Thankfully, knock on wood, it didn't happen to me this year, but... Really? Yeah. First which is, time in a while. First time, which is fantastic. But the guys that are
0: with, I think they, they have German dogs. I think they got into seven. So I keep uh, some tools in my back mm-hmm. pouch, and we've plucked many a quills out of dogs before. Yeah. What do you, tool-wise, what do you recommend? So, I mean, the
1: best thing you can have, so I've got... A pair of just like regular hemostats, and then I've also got a pair of needle nose like pliers that you use mm-hmm. for for fishing or whatever. Just one's a little bit more surgical, the other's a little bit more brute force. Yeah, and that's you know some guys will carry like them, a dowel rod with a string so you can s- stick the dowel rod in their mouth and then wrap the string around the back of their head to keep their mouth open. But I, I pretty much just you'll either put a leather glove and then stick my hand in their mouth
0: because they're not, you know, my dogs are generally okay with it. So tools are very important, obviously. I think maybe I would add to this the importance of of constantly touching your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you and I and George had a podcast last spring about the foundation, yep. uh, touching your dog's feet, touching every part of their body so that they're comfortable with it when the time comes that you need To go to work in the field, they're not they're not fighting against you, making it even harder yet. So that's a thing that you want to do a lot of. Touch every part of the dog's body, mouth, everything. Yeah, regularly.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, having the right tools, but then like, you know, when it happens, like it's just a matter of all right, take a deep breath. Like the nice thing about porcupines, it's it's. It stinks. It's awful. Like, but it's now it's happened enough times where it's like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, dang, dog's gotten a porcupines. I know how to handle it. It's not a big deal. You don't have to bring them to the vet there. You know, there's there's instances where, yeah, you definitely should bring them to the vet. But for the what, most, what would those be? Well, you know, you you, you get a dog that has five, six hundred quills in it. Like it's basically <laughs> that much. I've seen pictures I saw a dog, well, one dog we were out with last year, like this dog's sole mission is to kill porcupines and it will kill It will kill them. Like normally they just jump at them.
0: Yeah, and then they learn real quick not to. But I think I,
1: we, I watched, I don't know, they said they pulled four or 500 quills out of this dog. I think the most I've had was maybe 150, 200.
0: Dang, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to have a, a friend there to help you out. Like hunting by yourself and the, having that happen, like the nice thing is when you're another back to like the anxiety question like when you're with somebody at least for me it really seems to like just help dissipate some of that because you have someone there to share in the Mm -hmm. you know not only like the ups but then help you when things aren't going well
0: yeah if if you're if you get into um some situation and your buddy's calm next to you Mm -hmm. it really helps bring your level back down i've learned as well like Nope, your dog is going to be okay because like, they we'll think about it. they think about it's like <laughs> like being a parent. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> when you're in a big group setting and all of a sudden a kid starts screaming and crying and all parents are like is that my kid? Yeah, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's <laughs> not mine. <laughs> and you just like you go back yeah. down to your normal level. You can think clearly now. The other parent who yeah. actually has that kid is like, they're up there with that child too. But you can think clearly. Yeah, you know, so you can help. And that's the same thing with your dog being mouthful of quills. Somebody yeah. else like George coming over and being like, take a deep breath. Yeah, it's we'll okay. get it figured out. Yep, and I. You know, I think, you know, when I, gosh, I pulled some quills out in some random places, you know, Mm -hmm. in mountains and different, like, just take your time. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get all of them and you don't want to leave them in. Um, Even if it's just a little tiny one, it can, you know, it can... They migrate. Yes, exactly. So
1: interesting point of like, that was something initially when my dogs were getting the porcupines, I was just deathly afraid about because you... you know, you go on the old Web MD and instantly you have cancer, you're gonna die. Like that's pretty much like <laughs> yeah. I stubbed my toe. Oh, yeah, you have cancer, you're gonna you're, you're gonna die.
0: Yeah. But it's never as bad as the internet n- says. No,
1: never. So so I was out and I had Annie got into him. Kind of same situation. First day before the even season started, this was last year with Annie and like sunset, like, oh yeah, it's gonna be a heck of a run. Like, knock the dust off here and ten minutes in, porcupine. <laughs> It's like, shoot. <laughs> and she had a bunch, and had a couple, like, uh, up by her eye. So mm. then the next day I brought her in, and I was just asking the vet, and she's like, yeah, we see, I don't know, 100, 200 dogs a year in the, in the fall with, you know, that get quills." And I was like, well, do you have to worry about the ones that are in there? She's like, I've seen thousands in my life, and I've never had a problem with them migrating. Really? So, I, like, yes, it does. You want to get them all out, mm-hmm. but...
0: Like, don't let it, So don't, for, don't lose sleep at night. So for Grant, I think the advice is go hunt. Yep. And it might happen again. I've also heard from people that the dog learns their lesson really quickly. One wow. of two things happen. They're German dogs, Travis. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but some of yeah. them I've heard goes one of two ways. One, they're not going to touch it again. And two, they're mad at every one of them and they're going to yep. after every single one of them because the last one... Left them mad,
1: yeah, yeah, and one more piece of advice if if you're really like you're just like, I don't want to deal with this, I can't like it it's just overbearing, go out and shoot a porcupine and do it's just like if you Google snake avoidance training, mm-hmm. you can do the same thing, but insert a porcupine, yep and use your e collar and then that's one way that you can prevent that from happening if it's something weighing on your mind super heavily.
0: I did the same snake avoidance training on a porcupine in Nebraska last year. Ah. So there was one feeding out and working its way across this cut alfalfa field, and we're driving, and I go, whoa, 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 stop! And... Like, I need to go do something here, really important, really quick. (laughs) We're in the middle of filming, and we're trying to get up and through this pasture area. So I stopped the car in front of me, and I was like, I need to go right over here real quick. I got to show something to my dog. So I did the avoidance training when she was going up to this porcupine, and she's like, you know, obviously it stood out to her, and then I let her sit there and think about it for a minute. You know, you want her to think, you want your dog to think through that. Then I brought her back through the field, and we came up to it again, and I did it again. Yeah, you know, and I wanted her to know this is a no. Don't don't this do this. No. This is bad. So three hours later, we're we're like thirty miles into this horseback ride, and all of a sudden Daisy goes on point on this side hill, and I walk up to this bush and about to kick it, thinking I'm going to get a prairie chicken to come out. Big old porcupine. Oh, she stayed. 10 feet away from it and didn't move. I and I went, go, good girl, Daisy. And I rubbed the side of her, and I grabbed her by the collar, lifted her front legs up, turned her, and we just went on our way. I don't know for sure if the avoidance training worked right there, but she didn't stick her face into that porcupine. Yeah. So if you ever I have the chance... I would say yes, it worked. I would say so too. Grant, you might find a porcupine on the side of a road someday yeah. up there, and if you do... Use bring it home. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> bring it home and use it to your advantage and bring all your buddies, friends over that yep. have dogs and let them, you know, learn that dad know mm-hmm. that is a no. It might help. Exactly. Um, we're about an hour into our conversation. We haven't got to the controversy oh, yet. Gosh. Let's do it. Yep. Okay, I'm ready. We'll make it work. A couple months ago. Yeah. Two months ago, maybe. Something like that. You wrote an article and I don't remember. What did you title the article in Pheasants oh, Forever Magazine? That's
1: I don't even remember now. Um, Part of man, me feels like
0: I need to go yeah, pull it up. you should it go up. look it up here. Anyway, you basically, you basically called out every... Are you looking it up right now? Yeah. Brandon, tap dance. Play some music. Let's see do if do I can do do
1: do 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 find it.
0: You're oh. looking. It was called... So the story
1: was titled, A Kennel Divided. Okay. Tell me about this story. So kind of what it spurred from is is I, you know, kind of my intro, I've always had, well, I had short hairs growing up, and then I got two draughts, and then I started, you know, hunting a lot more, bird hunting a lot more, and then I kind of saw that, hey, you know, there's other options here. There's other breeds of dogs, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know, whatever breed of dog you have, whether you're in a club, NAVDA, the VDD, whatever, like you kind of drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Like, and it's great. Like, yeah, like my draughts are awesome. Mm -hmm. But then like you start to get out and hunt with other people and it's like, man, there's, there's more opportunities. There's other dogs out there. Yeah. And so I, that's how I ended up getting Amos my pointer. And so I was like, I should write an article, and I was feeling a little spicy at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome; and I it, loved it.
1: So I wrote it for the Quill Forever Journal, and I, I, I was emailing with Chad Love, and I said, Chad, this is going to be a little controversial. He's like, I love it, mm-hmm. and I, I sent it to him, and I said, Hey, if you need to edit this or want me to rewrite it, like, go ahead. And I think he sent an email back saying, No, it's great. And Chad's a little spicy too, so <laughs> he loved it, and he's yeah, so he liked it, and then. You know, I went out in the magazine first, and it was quiet. I was like, okay, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, especially in the like the the bird dog world, sent me messages saying, like, man, this is spot on article, I love it. And then it was posted online, and then the comments came. The comments.
0: So did you go to read it? Was it hate mail? So,
1: So, well, somebody tagged me in it. Somebody tagged me in like I think PF or QF posted on the Facebook page. And all of a sudden, by the time I got to look at it, it was like, like 170 comments. I was like, Oh, I must have touched
0: a nerve here. I knew you were going to. I I remember texting you. Have you heard anybody, any comments yet? And Mm -hmm. you're like, no, quiet yet. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, uh, for, for, for you that
0: haven't haven't read it, it, yes. Tell them why it's so controversial. So kind of what I did is
1: it was comparing and contrasting the dogs and, um, kind of m- my take on it is like, there are only X amount of breeds a- as tr- just straight bird hunters. There are really only three or maybe four breeds of dog you need. And that's setters, pointers. I forgot to mention Britneys in there, but Britneys are also acceptable.
0: Okay. And where <laughs> would they be? Where would they fall in? What's that? Where would they fall into your, like would it be setters and britneys are you put them together setters
1: setters pointers britneys okay and then like as as a if you all you hunt are just just straight up one like I, those are the only three bird dogs i think you need
0: and somebody with the lab curses well, you yeah. right now. so so now now defend yourself so now
1: with like let's take um you know if you hunt like the reason i got a drought is because i duck hunt I duck hunted, I bird hunted, I blood tracked deer. And so it's like, okay, that fits that situation. Like my draughts, they're not the best. Like if I want a pure bird dog, like they're not the best at it. Like my. They're, They're
0: good. Yeah. But they're, you're they're, saying they're not They are not the,
1: the pinnacle. Yep. Like, if you want a true bird dog, get a pointer, get a setter, get a Brittany. Like, those are the best. You That's compared what they're bred
0: for. It, you compared it in, like, a football analogy. Yeah. You said you don't send a linebacker out to cover a wide receiver yeah. out wide. You, Just
1: like you don't put a, you know, a, a cornerback on the line of scrimmage to go duke it out in the cattail swamps mm-hmm. or whatever, hunting ducks. Um. And so, and then the, a caveat, I think I put this in the article that will probably a lot of people, like, glossed over, but it's just, it really depends on your goals, right? Like, right. I wanted a pure bird dog that I don't care, you know, it, what he's like at home. He's great at home, by the way. But um, with the pointer, like, I just want a pure performance machine. But there's people that get breeds for out of nostalgia, right? Like, I grew up with this breed. Mm-hmm. Like, or... You know, I just like the way they look, and that's fine, but don't kid yourself saying that this is the best breed for purely bird hunting, because it's not.
0: So <laughs> it's it <laughs> so then you're basically saying, you know, to kind of help people understand a little bit more of this article, go read it if you haven't. Mm-hmm. It's I online. encourage you, it's yep. online. It's great, because it makes you think a little bit. Um, and I have had the very, um, you know, like I'm grateful for this opportunity to host this TV show Mm -hmm. and podcast. But what it has allowed me to do is to see all of these breeds in the field over the last seven, eight years since I've been doing this. And most hunters, most hunters will never hunt with that many different bird dogs. They're going to hunt with their dog. Maybe their buddies have the same. Mm-hmm. And those are the people they hunt with. So they they love what they have. They don't know what they don't know. And, and so then when the when the Heisman comes up and they're putting up the stop sign and defending this is the breed and it does all these things. It's possible that they haven't seen a different breed in a different situation. Maybe it's, you know, like your pointer is flying through the prairie finding dogs at five, 600 yards that are finding birds at yeah. five or 600 yards and lock and down point, not flinching. Somebody with a lab out there that's quartering beautifully, hunting great. They're covering different amount of train. You're covering, yeah. you know, like 500 times the amount of ground in that your dog is excelling in that scenario. Yeah. And,
1: and, and if, is somebody out there doing that, like if you're happy, Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to rain on your parade, but don't come and tell me that your dog is better at it.
0: Yeah. Do you think people do that?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, not directly. They don't come to your face and say, like, yeah. yeah, my dog's better than you, but yeah. like they'll start bragging on their dogs.
0: Which everyone does. It's yeah, like your I do kid. Too. Too. Yep. Yeah, exactly. we all do yep, it. And that's it. great. Um, but the reality is, and this is what this gets back to the point of the article the reality is that there are dogs that are bred for different scenarios, mm-hmm. different landscapes, and they can excel in different yeah. places and not so much in others. You know, like your draughts are pretty good at most things, but you say they're not great at anything.
1: Yeah, they're kind of a jack of all traits, but a master of none. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's like if I'm going to blood track deer, I'm going to go get a tackle or some... St- Dog that was strictly bred for blood tracking, if that's all I did. Same thing, like if I'm a waterfall guy, I'm going to get a lab because that's what they're really good at. You know, even like uh, maybe George will argue otherwise, but like if I want to go kill pheasants, I'm probably not going to bring Amos. Like if I'm going to go punch through cattail lose, I'll probably bring one of the draughts. I can get them to work closer. You know, it might not be the prettiest dog work all the time, but they're effective. Yeah. So it just all depends on. What your goals are? Well, I think George Lyle doing. would
0: say that a pheasant and a lot of other yeah, dog yeah. trainers, a pheasant can ruin a good pointer, yeah, a good pointing dog, whether it's a setter or an English pointer or whatever it might be, because they don't hold. No, they're <laughs> and in a, and a
1: dog, a good like a like Boone or Tucker, one of George's pointers, like they've been around the block, what, they're ten and eleven now. Yeah, like it's
0: it's pretty. Pretty amazing to watch those dogs work pheasants. That's why you have your pointer, isn't yes. it? That's why yeah. I have Daisy. Yeah, you know, between watching uh, George's dogs hunt quail and grouse and pheasants and chucker and all kinds of birds out west, like the fact that I'm walking the side hill of a mountain, but the cover there's something up there, five hundred mm-hmm. yards uh, ahead of me or or three hundred feet higher. My dog, that dog, will go check it out. Whereas I don't have to go there with a a short, yeah. ranging dog.
1: I, I was talking to George about this. I, I don't know if you remember, what we were in we were hunting with it was you, me, George, and Custis in Montana, and there's a rock pile in the middle of the field, and I I look over and say, I wonder if there's any birds there. George is like, Well, all right, I'll have I bet Boone will go check it out.
0: And it yeah. was like five hundred yards away, and sure yeah. enough, that dog made a loop all the way around that approached it from downwind yeah. side. And yes, I mean when the dog knows what it's doing and how to hunt out there. You get, I mean, that is what that dog is mm-hmm. bred for. It is so cool to watch. But at the same time, you know, like, I look at my dog, and when I put her in cattails, it's misery. Yeah. It is, mm-hmm. and, I, and I stand by it. Like, she's not, yes, she's going to find birds. Yes, she's going to point some, but she's so used to the range and getting mm-hmm. out, and in that kind of
1: cover. Minnesota public land, like, they just... Don't, or even private, but they just don't take pressure.
0: Yeah, they don't. So then, you know, she'll get them up out of range. She's trying to hold them, but they're running and she's like, how yeah. close do I get? And so it's this constant trespass. Now, if I had a dog that is working 20, 30, 40 feet in front of me, hunting like crazy, now when that bird gets up, it's within range. So there's definitely uh, a right place. I wouldn't say right place. Like, yes, she can do it. Yes, I'm going to take her out and we're going to go, but it's not her strength. No, it's all.
1: like that, you know, that's honestly a great spot for a lab.
0: Right? It is. Just I wish I had a lab for post,
1: that. Bu- bust and cover. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like all, all depends on what you do and what your goals are. Um, but kind of like the the main, one of the main threads for the article is like, it, it just I, people are so kennel blind. Yeah. Like, and, and I, I fell into it with the droughts. Like, I thought they were God's gift to the world, but they're not. They're, yeah, they're good at what they do, but so just like take a step back and like I encourage you, go hunt with other people with different dogs and, and I mean you're the mm-hmm. king of it. You've probably seen more dogs on the ground in different situations than most people will in their lifetimes. So. It was a
0: struggle for me because I saw so many dogs in their element where they should be mm-hmm. and then I was like, I want that. But what's realistic for me? Where am I going to hunt the most? Mm-hmm. And that should determine what kind of dog I get. And there's times where I look at – the high-powered, far-ranging 800 yards she wants to run and check what's over the horizon, it's not perfect for a Minnesota 40-acre WMA because she's done covering that before yeah. most people even get your legs, you know, like... Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Daisy's going to work. She'll tell you what's here in three yeah, minutes. We'll exactly. be done. Yeah. All right. That
1: was fun. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's uh, go do something else. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. No, it's definitely an interesting article, and I, I agree with a lot of the points. I'm not ever going to tell somebody that their dog isn't great. It's like telling someone your kid's not yeah. either. I think it does... It is worth taking a look at your breed and your situation, and if you are going to get a dog, think about what you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. That should determine what kind of dog, because there are certain dogs that have been bred for the exact scenario that you're looking for. Some of them are pretty good, yeah, not great at And all things are like you said. Yeah. I mean, I'll let I'll let them read your article. It's it's thought provoking indeed. (laughs) Controversial. Hey, what was the what was the argument that went 170 responses long?
1: So if you read this at some point in the article, I I state like, oh yep, this is gonna this will probably get out. I'm gonna ruffle some feathers. There's gonna be hate mail. And I think what did I say? It was something like Don't, don't tell me that your dog is going to do better than this dog. And then of course, here comes the flood on Facebook, posting pictures of their dog saying, Oh, my dog is, my
0: dog is better. This dog is great. You haven't seen my dog hunt this. that's exactly what it was. My dog would go and find it. But you
1: haven't seen my dog. And I think my response was, I don't care. (laughs) I don't believe you. (laughs) I didn't say that. That was in the article. Sure. Just, yeah. I mean, you, you don't know what you don't know.
0: Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, when it comes to big country specifically, the further west you go and the bigger the country, um, you can learn really quick if your dog is up to that task. Yeah. And it's just going it, to – it'll change your hunting style or how you're going to be able to cover it based mm-hmm. on the dog that you've got out there. Yeah. I mean, that's – I think people should be expecting that. Like right now, early season, Montana – Prairie birds, North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Sandhills. I mean, those are massive, massive places. You get in it and you realize quickly why some people have a dog that goes out.
1: Yeah, and and you can be successful hunting a closer ranging dog, but it is not the best tool for that situation. You're trying to hammer a nail in with a oversized crescent wrench. You're and you're not gonna using, get there, it's yeah. just yeah Yeah, exactly. So it works. But again, if if you're happy, if you if you love your dog, you're happy to hunt behind it, great. Like I don't care. Yeah, but just don't tell me that it is the best dog for that situation.
0: <laughs> Somebody's gonna tell you that <laughs> oh, theirs sure is better that, than yours. I'll be at, not, And I wouldn't say you're not saying your dog is the best. I'll leave it no, at that. No, my dog is not the best. Like <laughs> I, I I would love to hunt with your dog fully all aware. season long. Amos is a machine. It's oh. just, I love watching that dog. Well, I will... You've done an amazing job. We'll end it with this. Uh, you know, you've got a dog, and uh, this dog has come a long way. But how old is Amos?
1: Amos is a year and a half now.
0: What is your expectations of a year and a half old dog that you've spent time with?
1: You know, the biggest thing is I didn't really have, being it was one of my first pointers, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations like, I just kind of let him develop and let him tell me where he was, what he was ready for. Um, thankfully, you know, pointers, they mature pretty fast. So like now I'm expecting him, I don't care uh, whether it's in the grouse woods or, um, on the prairies of Montana. If you go and point at 400 yards, I expect you to stand there. Let me walk up, shoot the birds. You stand still until I let you go. And that, that, most of the time I shouldn't say what half the time that's true um but that's just something that you know he's, yeah. he's got to keep learning and and we just got to keep getting more reps And so
0: well uh, you spend a lot of time with your dog you yeah. spend a lot of time with all of your dogs you've got four yep and you know you're you're very active out there in the field but it all comes back to how often you go back to the foundation mm-hmm. do you know I mean oh I mean every it, it's just it's not I guess I don't consider it going back to
1: the foundation. It's just built into the everyday fabric of what you do. There's those elements in there, whether it's every time that dog comes out of the truck, the the command lead goes on. Mm-hmm. You use the collar or the command lead to stop the dog, and then you go. Dog comes back. It's on the command lead. Goes in the kennel. Mm-hmm. Like those are foundation level things that you do every day that are just built into the fabric of your process.
0: Yeah. It's so funny because George and George has taught us so much, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes hunting with Mr. Lyle, he forgets his own things. And I love calling oh, him out <laughs> on so Like, uh, oh, you didn't start out on the lead, George. What are you doing? You're gonna blow this whole thing up.
1: I have got some stories for you. Tell one. Yeah. So one of, so I went to a huntsmith seminar. First one I ever went to, like being I guess on the outside coming in, like I was like George, what what do I need to do to not make myself look like an idiot? Like (laughs) help me out here. And it said like, they need a leather collar. Like the dog needs a leather collar. I was like, well, I've got like the biothane collar. He's like, yeah, I know it says leather collar, but you, you do whatever it works. Like, that's fine. No one will make fun of you. And I show up and Herb comes out. Actually. Yeah. Herb comes out and and he's got (laughs) that, that blue biothane collar or permatech, whatever you call it. And, uh, Doc Martin, who we were doing it at his, the training or the seminar at his house. He comes in and he says, what the hell is that dog wearing? <laughs> and I look at George. I was like, George, I thought it was okay. <laughs> and he's just chuckling back there. And so I, I I was promptly given a leather leather collar and told to give me $20 or $25 for the collar.
0: <laughs> is it just old school mentality or what's well, the reason so, behind it? So when it?
1: you're check yeah. um that collar, when you're flipping the or flipping the check cord over their back that mm-hmm. collar is able to slide better slide. it's less tacky on their neck um so fast forward to the prairie of Montana we get out there we're sitting at the truck and here comes Rip
0: his new pup
1: yeah his little his pup year old now and what does that dog have on there? An orange biothane collar. No. I, got the, I took a picture of it <laughs> with him in it.
0: Ah, George Lyle, you fraud. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and oh, and I just let into him right <laughs> oh, away. Oh, good for you. And I think as an excuse, oh, this is the only one with, with uh. With the nameplate on it, I said, "Your your leather collars have nameplates. Oh, well, those say Marshall or whatever, and not where I live now." Oh my gosh! I, I was like, it.
0: "George, wow!" So I'll have to wow. show, you. I'll have to show you that picture. That's one of many stories. All right. Well, a lot of that could be an inside thing because we spend so much time hunting together. But George Lyle has been on several podcasts, just like you've been on several podcasts. Ben, I encourage you if you've not listened to them to go back. Mister Lyle shares unbelievable wisdom with us all the time uh we're grateful for his guidance his wisdom he's a heck of a dog trainer mm-hmm. he learned from some of the best in the dog training world and we're grateful to have a mentor like that if you have the opportunity to friend uh, a wise mentor like george's in our lives oh the value of having that is just you can't put a price tag on it. No way. So we're grateful for George and that's why we get to rip on him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Ben, uh best of luck to you the rest of the hunting season. It's off uh with a bang, obviously. You've got a, a lot going on. Check out the Onyx hunt app. Depending on where you're hunting, there's something in there that will make you a better bird hunter. You and I do not go hunting without it. Uh we're 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 bird hunters that travel and that is just as important of tool as a good pair of boots. Yeah. And the time you spend training your dog in good shells and a good gun.
1: And if you wanna if you want to learn more, we were talking about scouting different types of species. Mm-hmm. Um we've been doing master classes on right. yeah. on different species of birds. So um if you go on the Onyx Hunt YouTube channel, you'll find all those recorded or you'll get if you're if you have Onyx, you'll get emails periodically saying hey, um we've got a couple coming up uh, scouting and hunting for pheasants, grouse. Uh, we'll have a quail one coming up. So,
0: nice. um, and if they, I, I learned if they, a ton. If they can't join live when you're doing these, yep. they're, they're going to be there.
1: They'll posted. I think we did a, a prairie grouse one with Tyler Webster and Marissa Jensen. That's up on YouTube. There's a number of them. They all go up on
0: YouTube. So you'll be able to watch them. Cool. Awesome, Ben. Thank you. Uh, again, appreciate it, Travis. Best of, best of luck as we go. I can't wait to hunt with you and Amos and the rest of the crew likewise all right we'll be back next week with a live podcast from bear cave brewing in hopkins minnesota we hope you'll join us ben's gonna be there
1: yeah you can you can come and tell me if uh (laughs) if you want to give flack to my face i'll be there i'll happily (laughs)
0: i'll happily take it all right there it is we'll see you there uh we'll be back next week with that live podcast